Welcome to Slaying the Sale, a podcast full of practical real-life sales lessons that you wish you learned in business school. Your host, Kyle, is a two-time best-selling author, creator of the Slaymaker Method, and in each episode, he and his guests will be answering the tough questions around sales, lead generation, and all things business to help you transform your sales mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Kyle Slaymaker. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slaying the Sale. I am your host, Kyle Slaymaker, which you all know by now after, what, 70-some episodes? Uh, Listen, I'm going to get right into it because I'm really, really excited about today's guest. This has definitely been a long time coming. So I'm going to give a brief introduction, and then I'll let the man himself introduce himself. Uh, I'm going to introduce Sam Kaufman. Sam is a renowned business owner renowned business coach and a personal friend of mine, somebody who I both admire and respect who has helped me through a lot in business and in life. So Sam, introduce yourself. Yeah. I mean, um, everything you said, much appreciated. Yeah. I'm a, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I'll see you guys later. Now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a husband and father of two. Um, I own a, a remodeling company in Charleston, a flooring retail store in Charleston. Um, I do business coaching, consulting, speaking. Um, I just released a book, and um, I just really love making an impact. So that's that's probably the primary thing there, which I get to do in all of those areas. So, so let's let's take a little bit of a deeper dive on that. What what made you transition? Well, no, I guess you didn't really transition, but you started doing the business coaching. Why? You know, I, um, the truth was I wanted to get into business coaching originally because I thought that it would be a easier way to use all of the things I've learned to help other people and also make income. That was my original thought process was this would be a little easier running business, running and growing businesses from scratch is fucking hard. Can I curse here? Is that okay? Oh yeah. All right, good. Is fucking hard, and um, little little did I know once I really got into business coaching, um, it is equally, if not more, challenging um, for an array of different reasons. But to be quite honest, there's no escaping the difficulty when you emotionally attach yourself to anything. When you care or passionate about anything, it's going to be fucking hard. It's just going to be hard. So, so that's a, that's a good good conversation point when it comes to coaching i think a lot of coaches myself included we get an attachment to our customers um do you find that's the reason it's hard to keep some emotion out of it you know um yeah man i mean when you so all right so let let me back up a little bit i'm gonna try not to take too long to, to tell this like background here but like so this july i'll have 10 years sober so i got i got clean from drugs and alcohol a, a long time ago. And I was very young, but when I did that, like I, that's where I got my first mentor. Like when you get clean, like when I got clean, the way I got clean in a 12 step fellowship, you get a mentor. That's where I learned about mentorship and guidance and this and that. So in that scenario, then I started mentoring and guiding people. So all of my adult life has been coaching helping, mentoring, guiding, doing, serving other people. Like from the time I was 22 on, I learned um, that like service is the way to live. Right. And so like 
when I got into coaching, you add money to the transaction and being in coaching was the first time I added money to the transaction of service. But what I found was the emotional attachment is no less um, whatsoever. So yeah, I become emotionally attached because it's not just the business owner, man. Like they, they come on calls with you and they talk about their employees and their families and their kids. And like every goal that they have is tied to your guidance and walking them through the life situations. Cause you know this, but like business coaching is 10% business and 90% how you live your life. Like we, we talk more about what, how you're living your life and your habits and your routines and how you're showing up than I can fix your business procedures in a 25 minute phone call. It's, it's holding you accountable to implement them. That's the difficult part. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, <clears throat> so let's, let's talk about the book, right? Let's get that out of the way because you recently became a number one bestseller, right? Congratulations. Allegedly. Thank you. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> uh, tell us about it. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you show the recording ever, but it's right here. Never stop building. Um, you know, I, uh, man, I've always felt like I talk about like, I pretty openly talk about like being in recovery often. And, um, I've always felt that like the principles and like the way like getting clean really set the stage for everything else that I started to do. And not just because I physically got clean, but like the principles I learned to stay clean sort of applied to everything else. So like what I wanted to do in the book was find a way to like harmonize all of my experiences over the last decade from getting sober, to meeting my now wife, to adopting my two kids, to starting, you know, I think in here I list the, the dozen businesses that I've started and now I've got two that are successful, but I wanted to find a way to like short and sweet, tell the story of how it all ties together. And that's sort of what this book was for me. It was that outlet to tell that story um, in a short, concise, and hopefully somewhat entertaining and funny way. So that's what I did. It was a, uh, it was a long, painful process that I now learn I could probably write another book in about 40 days. <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny how that works. You, you painstake over the first one. Dude, you actually are the one. It was you. I was on a phone call with you, and I said something about writing a book, and you were like, you were like, ah, you're like, you're like, I'm six books in, and at this point, I could get a book out by tomorrow. You said something, and I was like, I was like, there's no way. And now after the first one, I get it. I, like, I now I get it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a learning experience. Like so many people overthink it. Just, I mean, I think a lot of it has a mental standpoint to it, especially when you're getting emotional and you're telling stories like that. Um, but once you once you do it the first time, man, it's it's a breeze. Not trying to yeah. say I'm like the world's greatest author or anything, but yeah, I, I I just looked. I've got I've got my big book for slaying the sale. That's like now it's up to like 200 pages. I've got a bunch of ebooks. I've got a children's book that I wrote. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Just, just go into town. That's how you do it. All about content, buddy. It, it is all about content. And, and there's like, it's funny though. Cause that's like everything else, man. Like once you, once you figure out how to make one business successful, all of a sudden the rest of them become pretty simple. Once you figure out how to make one relationship successful, you sort of kind of nail relationships in general. Once you figure out how to write a book, you sort of figure out how to write books, but <laughs> um, dude, if you don't start, if you don't start and finish, 
you just never figure it out. Like I have a page in here in the very beginning where I was like, this is my third attempt at, this is my third start to writing a book, but it will not be like, it will be the first one. I don't quit. Like good. Yeah. Which it did. I was the first one. I didn't quit. So See? celebrate wins yeah. all around. Um, For sure. So there's two things I want to definitely make sure we touch on today. One is what we just talked about before we hit record, because I think it's fantastic. Um, and we'll get to that. But one of the things that I found most powerful on this podcast is when I had Mike Claudio on the silverback himself, which, you know, very well, yeah, um, I know. for our listeners, there was a, a section on that. I wanted to get Sam's input on um, when Mike was talking about how he sometimes gets messages like, Oh, you're not the way you used to be. And Mike's response was, fuck you, you selfish son of a bitch. You're damn right. I'm not the same I was, right? Sounds Mike-like. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds very Mike-like. I- I'm <laughs> telling you, even though we had audio issues with that episode, like that episode is one of my favorite. Um, now, you work with Mike at WinRate. You're a rock star coach. We know that. What do you say to the listeners who may receive messages like that they're in that stage where they're growing they're getting more vocal on social media and they're getting messages they're hearing from haters you know hey you're not who you used to be you forgot where you came from what would you say yeah well there's two things man like the first one is um the people that have a relationship with the old you are probably and more than likely not going to want a relationship with the new you so like you have you have to keep in mind that the person that you attracted into your circle prior to changing isn't the person you would want in your circle now anyway. You are attracting a different type of person and you are deterring that old kind of person. And it's going to hurt because anybody with any semblance of empathy or sympathy or love or service, I wanted everybody to come with me. Everybody I was friends with, let's call it the gutter. And it wasn't a gutter because like I've changed a dozen times over the last, probably more, two dozen, three dozen times over the last 10 years. If you're not, never stop building. That's the whole premise of it is we continue to change and build. But those people that had a relationship with the old version of you don't want a relationship with the new version of you. Your joy will always freak out the miserable people. Your success will always scare the unsuccessful. Your change will always make people who refuse to change panic. So those old people that you want to come with you and you want to respect you and you want their approval, fuck them. And I I don't mean to like regurgitate Mike there, but truthfully, like, Dude, I've lost more friends in the past 24 months than I gained in the last eight years. Gone, gone. And it's not, it's not that I don't love those people, but they do not love me. They don't love me for who I am. Now here's the second part to this, bro. You changed overnight. How, how dare you expect anybody to just be like, like, like you have, you changed, you made the decision I'm not going to be this man anymore. Tomorrow I'm going to be a new man. And you just expect all these people that you've been lying to and in relationship with for X amount of years to just be okay with that. Like you look like an imposter. You look like a fake. Don't let that stop you. You have to push through that. But like your expectations of people that they're going to support you and, and be okay with this. And like, bro, like you are the one who changed. Own it, step into it, be okay with it. Like puff your chest out and go make friends with people who 
who are attracted to the new version of you. And this new version, like this is something I had to accept. Like I'm not faking this new version of me. I'm just finally being myself. These are things I've always thought. This is the version I've always wanted to be. This is the man I always dreamed of becoming. These are the businesses I always dreamed of owning. These are the friends I always dreamed of having. So like for you to sit there and be like, well, these motherfuckers don't support me, bro. For the last four years, you've wished these people weren't your friends to begin with. Yeah, you're dropping that fire, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm not sorry, but apologize for that. Yeah. Fix your expectations of other people. They don't owe you shit and you didn't want to be friends with them to begin with. But now that you don't have their approval, all of a sudden they owe you something. Let it fucking go. I love it. Um, Before we started recording, we were talking about how we both have noticed like a, we'll say a a lull uh, in business ownership for a little bit. Everybody seems to be going through, or at least a lot of people seem to be going through um, some stalls. Right. And you said something I think was very powerful is, you know, it's not really a down period. This is just real business. Yeah. Right. We had so many businesses pop up during COVID because we had access to the time to start businesses. Um, but now, you know, the, the rubber really meets the road here. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I, um, I think a lot of business owners uh, were given a very we're given a misrepresentation uh, of what entrepreneurship and owning a business is actually like from 2020 to right around the end of last year, maybe the beginning of this year. Um, money was easy to come by. People were spending. Credit was good. People were not afraid. People were borrowing money. Businesses were closing deals that they shouldn't have closed. Businesses were growing that shouldn't have grown. Businesses were thriving that shouldn't and wouldn't have normally thrived. So I guess like for a lot of businesses that I saw, you know, their 12 month growth period probably would have taken them five years under normal circumstances. Their 24 month growth period would have taken them a decade under normal circumstances. And so now a lot of business owners have this perspective in their head and, and their businesses might be fine, but their version of fine is all fucked up. Their opinion of fine is all fucked up because fine is is 100 to 200 to 300% year over year growth, year over year over year over year. And now they're in like a stability phase or maybe they've declined a little bit and a little revenue decline never hurt anybody who had some cash savings and a good plan and a strategy and processes and teams and leadership. And so, yeah, I think I think we've entered and my businesses are no exception. I think we've entered into normal quote unquote, normal um, business, maybe even a little sub, there might be some some economic, um, there's no doubt that there's some economic fear in the marketplace. If you watch the news yeah. for eight seconds, you know, there's economic fear. And for most business owners who sell to, like my target demographic watches the news. My target demographic for renovation pays very close attention to all of the mainstream media sources, right? Same with my target demographic with coaching. Their business's target demographic is the same as my business's target demographic. What I want to encourage people to understand, though, is like like we turned up the heat. So like coming into this year, we saw the slowdown coming in Q4 of last year in the remodel side. And we had two options. 
We can let this hurt us to the point where we have to downsize a little bit to ride the wave or we can turn up the heat. And that's what we did. We turned up the marketing spend heat. We turned up the hiring heat. We turned up the production heat. I, 10 years ago, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say, all these businesses, when things get hard, they turn off their marketing. They let people go. They go into the scarcity protection mode. They end up losing their business. The businesses that thrive in a downturn, and this is, I'm not even saying this is a downturn, but the businesses that thrive when things get tight are the ones who go all in. So here I am, 10 years after first hearing that message, things are turning a little bit in the in just the general economic sense in most places in the country. We just turned up the heat. We turned up the heat and we started to dive into our net profit margin tighter than we've ever dove into our net profit margin. And we're doing very well. You can't operate on fear. This is normal business. This is what it's going to be like this for the next 10 years. Like, I mean, that's a strong assumption, but like, we're not going to go back to what we, we were living in the best economy that ever existed for a very short period of time. It ain't going back there overnight. Like it's not going to happen. This is it. Like learn how to thrive here and you will literally kill it forever. So when, for our listeners that are either just in the infancy of starting their business, um, or the ones that are getting ready to start a business, right? How would you say, because I think there's going to be a big disconnect between what they have in, in their mind because of seeing everything in COVID yeah. and what they're going to expect or what they're going to actually experience. Um, what advice do you have for the soon to be or just starting out entrepreneurs who are starting in this market, in this economy? You know, honestly, man, it'd be the, the same advice for any other economy. Get your core values set up, get a solid mission statement, get your vision clear and hire a really good team. And, and you know, I mean, this, this is probably not something I would have said five years ago because I really didn't understand it. But like your top line revenue means nothing. Your bottom line net profit margin is the only number that really matters. Yeah. And that's coming from a guy who chased top line revenue, top line revenue, top line millions and millions and revenue and revenue to look back and have nothing to show for it. Focus on your bottom line, focus on your net profit. Focus on, so, and like, yeah. And so like, what's funny though, like funny story there is like in the height of the greatest business economy that ever existed, I almost lost everything. I mismanaged my business so bad in the end of 2019 coming into 2020 that I was almost bankrupt. And so where everybody else was in this like free money EIDL, I was so fucked up in 2020. I never even got EIDL. I was so like hyper-focused on fixing my business model that I was too late to that party. And so like where all these people were getting all this free money and they like, I now granted, had I been given it, do I think I would have stewarded it properly at the time? No, I really don't. If I had it today, would I have stewarded it properly? Absolutely. But God protected me from myself. Like I was not, I did not have access to things I was not ready to handle. And I'm super grateful for that. But my point is like, I feel super fortunate for the 12 months of rebuilding I went through during the greatest economy ever. Cause I didn't get to reap the rewards. Like everybody, I had to come out of that. Um, I had, I went into that broken. And I had to come out of that healed. And I didn't get this like free, holy crap, like this was the best year ever. Like 2020 was like by far the worst year we ever had because we rebuilt everything like from the ground up, our whole service model, our whole business model, our whole team. I had to shut down a branch in another city. Like 
almost losing everything changed everything for me permanently. It's funny how that works, right? Yeah, dude. I mean, rock bottom changes lives. If you can survive hitting rock bottom and you can climb out, dude, it changes everything. I mean, that's like getting clean. I hit a rock bottom. Every time I've made the biggest strides in every pillar of my life, whether it was my sobriety, whether it was me getting to my heaviest and choosing to live a new lifestyle, whether it was my marriage getting it to, to its most tense or my, my kids get like it, everything has a bottom and we're given an opportunity to literally change everything. And this is the question you ask, like what happens when people say, well, you change and Mike's right, bro. Like, fuck you. Thank God I did. So like, maybe if I don't, I might be dead. I might not have to be able to support my family. I might, we have to change life changes. Yeah. Seasons change, business changes, money changes, people change. Like, bro, if you're not changing, you're dying like yeah. straight up. You I saw a clip of you speaking. I don't know if it was at a win rate event or or not, but you may you had a quote in there that hopefully I don't butcher because I think it's really really important and helped me a lot. Um, you you reach the pinnacle of making a million dollars in a year in revenue, and then you followed up with this and you said some lines of but I spent one point one doing it. Yeah, I was talking about financial intelligence. Yep. Yeah. 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 That, that's exactly what it was. And that was really, really powerful for me because, you know, there was, God knows I mismanaged money like fucking crazy. Um, that's why I finally started realizing I might need an accountant. Um, <laughs> we all do. Yeah. But tell us a little bit more about that. Like, I, I think there's a little bit of a, of a rat race mentality in, in the reaching the coveted million dollar mark. And then when you get to a million, you realize that it's, not not as much as you think um you know well it's not it's either that it's not as much as you think or like yeah so long story short like i did everything in my power my first few years in business to hit a million dollars in revenue it was definitely like what i believed to be the next level mm -hmm. but it was purely egotistical like i just had to see that extra zero on my tax return for gross income. Like I had to, like there was something in my brain that was like, once I do that, I will have unlocked some next level of coveted business that like only special people are allowed into. Now to your point, once you get into like, so like I'm in very different friends. I have very different group of friends today than I did back then. And I got to tell you like a million in grossing, it's, it's, it's almost nothing to a lot of people in this space. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's almost, yeah. That's like, I know people doing 10 times that in net personal income, you talk about gross revenue. It's insane. You know but, what the cool thing is though, Sam, is that the people that get to that club, at least in the circle that, that we're in, um, I tend to find that the more money they make, the more willing they are to bend over backwards and help as many people as they possibly can get to that point. And I think yeah. that's a really, really solid lesson because in business, when you're first starting out, and I, I'll, I'll speak from personal experience, I was very competitive instead of collaborative. I think that's probably a good way to put it. I, 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 you know, I was a schmuck and took the billboard out near my competition's office, which, yeah, it's funny. I didn't mean any, you know, animosity or anything. I just thought it was funny. It is hilarious. Um, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but like people, I mean, I'll drop his name. People like Sammy, Sammy Knight. Sammy is a rock star in every sense of the word. Every sense of the word. And he's probably one of the most 
wealthy people I know, both financially and non-financially, I'd say emotionally mm. too. And Sammy is one of those people that would just give the shirt off his back to help somebody because that's just how he is. So do you find like there's a fine line between those levels? Like, is it the million dollar mark where you start seeing more people being more helpful? No, I've found it's not. What I've found is the people who are of super service, um, they've been like that for a long time. The money is a result of the service mentality, not the other way around. And so like, and I'll share this story for you, like, and for your listeners, the so I got talk about like hitting a million. This was like, we hit a million for the first time, like five years ago or something. And like my income hit about a hundred thousand bucks a year, net income, million dollar business, quote unquote, we call it a million dollar business. It was probably worth negative 300 grand, but we call it a million. We call our business, the value of its revenue, right? Even though it's relatively, everybody inaccurate. does, everybody right? does. even though it's very inaccurate, but I had the, the big quote unquote business and I hit like a hundred grand ish. I would go between 90 and 120 every year, right around a hundred. And for years, dude, I stayed stuck there. And no matter what I did, I got the business up to 1.5. I made no more money. I brought the business back to 850 to cut costs. I made no more personal net income. Nothing I did made any difference on my net income. And I would get so frustrated as I continued to go on and on for years until I did one thing one year. Um, I sat down with my wife and I made a donation goal. And I said, this year, I'm going to donate 25,000 bucks. I don't know how, I have no idea how, because it's way above 10% of our current net income from last year, but I am going to donate 25 fucking thousand dollars this year come hell or high water. That year, my personal income went from around a hundred to $240,000 that one single year. That was the first year that I watched a skyrocket because my entire focus changed. It was no longer about me. I didn't have an income goal that year. I had a donation goal and I was going to hit this donation goal no matter fucking what, even if I had to go for broke doing it. And when I started to take my money, because I told you in the beginning, I was a, I'm, I've always been a hugely service-based dude. It's not so much with my money. My time, yeah. My emotions, sure. Phone calls, yeah. Middle of the night, you need, absolutely. But like my money, eh, not, 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 not really. Like that's kind of mine. Like once I have more, I'll give. Once I have, and I never had more. Yeah. And the one year I decided I'm going to give. I'm going to give no matter how much I have. And I'm going to trust God in this process. I'm going to turn my finances over to him fully. And I'm just going to see where the chips fall. I had never had so much opportunity present itself in my life than I did that year. And it has done nothing but compounded year after year after year from there. So you said you, you gave it up to God. Expand on that. What do you mean? Cause I was going to go down the John Hiley route because I, I, I read him doing something like that too, in his book where he committed to, he, well, how did he do it? He, he told his friend, he gave him a blank check or a check for $40,000 and said, no matter what I tell you, if you don't hear from me by this date, cash this check, give it to this charity. And that's how he, so he did it that way. And I did that last year with uh, sponsoring a local sports team and it worked. It, it did exactly what you, what you just described just on a different level. Um, but when you say you gave it up to God and let the chips fall where they may, how did you give it up to God? Because I think a lot of our listeners are going to sit here and be like, well, what does that mean? Give our finances up to God. Yeah. Um, 
man, this is, I'm going to do my best to articulate this um, intelligently and clearly, but truth be told, like, in the moment, my, I, my, my, my mentality was I've done the best I could with the information and the skill set that I have. I can't do anymore. I've, I've, I have tried to control this to the point of anxiety, sleeplessness, anger, frustration, a challenged marriage, a challenged household, um, a challenged ego. And I said, I no longer care. I no longer care. I've done nothing but obsess over my income for years. And nothing has been produced from this in a joyful or fulfilling way. I mean, I'm grateful for the house. I'm grateful for our car. Don't get me wrong. I was grateful for the life we were living, but I, but I really wasn't in my heart grateful for the life we were living. I always needed more. I always needed to prove more. I always needed to be more. It was never enough. I would have these panic attacks around Christmas. I talk about this in the book a little bit, but I'd have these panic attacks around Christmas because I just never felt like I was giving enough, producing enough, providing enough. It wasn't enough presents for the kids. It wasn't enough tree for my wife. Like, and, and like, you're a man and like, I don't care what any men, men suffer from this. It's not enough. We don't provide. It doesn't matter if our wives say, babe, you're good. You're good. My wife's been telling me since the day I met her. Like when we met, we were sleeping on the floor in her parents' garage, bro. Like we come from nothing. And yet it was never enough. It was my, my, my screwed up perspective of myself. I was projecting in my family's heads. My wife doesn't think I'm enough. If this isn't good enough, my kids won't think I'm enough. I need to put a pool in the backyard as soon as possible. Cause my daughter's getting older and she's not going to have this. And, and one day my coach said to me, bro, you think your daughter gives a shit? Ask, he asked me this question. He said, do you think that 10 years from now that your daughter will look back and remember the pool in the backyard or remember whether or not dad ever had a smile on his face. And that fucked me up because I'm going to spend the next how many years miserable to get a pool in the backyard. And that's what she'll remember. Yeah, we had a pool. My dad was angry and mean. Or uh, no, we didn't have a pool. Who gives a shit? I had the best fucking home life like ever. I love my parents. I love going yeah. home. Kids don't come home for the pool, bro. They come home for the family. Right. And so that's a, I gave that's a great up. quote right there. Kids don't come home for the pool. They come home for no, the family. They come home for the fucking family. And so I gave up. I gave it up. I said, God, you take this. If this is my max, if a hundred thousand in income is it, if this house is it, if these car, if all this shit is the best I can get, God, you have provided for me more than I ever dreamed of. And I'm sorry that I ever took this for granted. I'm good. I'm happy. Thank you. And I turned my focus to serving other people donating money, serving others, and living a life of joy. And all of a sudden, I became a man who was worthy of stewarding more. Man, see why I love you? That's I mean, this is a painful process. <laughs> well, it is. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of, of the exact mindset that you just, just described. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I, I've, I've been working my ass off for the Slaymaker method, and I've you know, on, on the outside looking in, I've built it into something really big that nobody ever thought I ever would from the magazine articles, the books, the, the success summits, stuff like that. But you're right. It's, it, I think a lot of it comes down to ego, right? Mm -hmm. You want more, 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 more. You want more notoriety. You want more money. You want more sales. You want more, I don't know, anything. 
And then you, you completely lose sight of the stuff that's really, really important. I think a lot of business owners go down that route because those first few years in business are like getting kicked in the nuts three times an hour every day. Yep. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, one thing that I've been seeing lately is there seems to be two camps when it comes to wins celebrating. Some are saying celebrate all the wins, celebrate the small wins, celebrate the big wins. Others are saying only celebrate the big wins. Don't let the world know your plans. Nobody needs to know what you're doing until you do it. Yeah. Where do you fall? Um, I guess somewhere. I guess somewhere in the middle, technically. So, like, there are some plans that don't need to be announced, I suppose, for, for some. There are some that are just deeply personal that, like, it's not about telling, I just really need to prove some shit to myself. You know, there's some there's some of that, I guess. And um, But I, more so on the celebrate, I have to celebrate it all. That doesn't mean I tell everybody all of my plans and intentions, but like, I don't even believe there are small wins and big wins. Truthfully, I don't, I don't see the difference between increasing my income by a hundred thousand dollars this year and taking my daughter to her first junior golf tournament yesterday. And actually to Sorry. actually scratch that. I do see that the difference is taking my daughter to her golf tournament yesterday made me fucking happy. <laughs> Increasing my income actually isn't making me any happier. It's giving me the ability to continue to, to position myself for my future, but it's not bringing me any joy. There's no joy or fulfillment behind the bigger paycheck. There's a quick dopamine hit where I'm like, that's awesome. I'm proud of myself. But taking my daughter to the golf tournament yesterday, that has been in my heart since we showed up. I woke up thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. I'm happy on this podcast thinking about it. I made a post about it today. I get a big paycheck. I'm like, that's awesome, man. I'm fucking killing it. And then I'm done. It dissipates. Yeah. And so like I, maybe my definition of big win is different than a lot of people, but I don't, I don't think there's a difference. I think a win is a win. And I think that the most important thing that people need to do is figure out what success looks like for them and then define that. Cause that was the big, the big difference for me wasn't acknowledging every win. It was defining what a win was. And so like my post today about my daughter's golf tournament, she was super anxious yesterday. And as we were going in there, I said, look, babe, we got two objectives today. Objective number one, we learn how to play a nine-hole golf tournament. Objective number two, you and me have a fucking great time together. That's it. I said, if we nail those two objectives, we won the tournament. This is your yep. first tournament. You've been doing this for five weeks. We have no expectation we're winning this thing. Our objectives, learn how to play a nine-hole golf tournament, have a great time. So every time she got anxious going up to the next hole, I'd be like, yo, just remember – you currently are sitting at a 100% success rate for your objectives. And she'd go, okay, boom. Because we <laughs> defined what success looked like. We decided how we were going to measure it. Not the tournament, not the scorecard, us. We determined. So we had a great time. Had I not done that, she didn't win. She'd have been miserable. Does that make sense? That makes That's what perfect. I started doing it's, in my life. It goes, it goes right back to you describing how you gave your finances up to God and you just kind of changed your mindset there. That's, that's yeah. perfect. I love that. And again, right. I, I think there's such a, a different culture in the world and, and, and in entrepreneurship where you, you don't see as much of that anymore. And that's incredibly important. Like, like I know my son is very hard. Like he's very hard on himself. And I, like every time I take him fishing and I'm just like, Hey, we're just out here to have fun. And 
I mean, he's five, so he's still learning, but he still catches fish like almost every day. Um, but man, that's that's fantastic. What I'm trying to think how I want to frame this. Okay. In coaching, or maybe not even just in coaching, but in, in life, what is the worst thing a business owner can do? <laughs> Putting you on the spot. Um, I mean, to keep it as simple as possible, I think the worst thing anybody could do would be quit. Just yep. quit. I, I don't think there's... Man, there's not really, like... I mean, outside of, like really major like bad stuff but like there's not a mistake i haven't made you, you know what i mean like so like worst thing you could do like i'd love to say you know well don't spend all your cash well i've done that and i'm still here i'd love to say like don't you know don't don't cause a toxic culture at your company by being an inexperienced shitty leader but like i did that and like we're still here and like i'd love to say like don't coach a client on, on mistake advice, but like, well, shit, I've done that. And like, we were able to fix it. And like, I'd love to say, like, it just wouldn't be true that the only thing is like, don't quit. So like after each one of these mistakes, like learn from it and don't do it again. Like the, 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 the essence of learning from your mistake is that you don't do it twice. And I remember years ago, like yeah. probably my first year in business, I, I said to somebody that I was friends with, he made a comment about something. I used to have a real bad, I used to have a bad temper, bad mm -hmm. temper, angry, mildly violent. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily start the fight, but like, I would definitely get you to start the fight. So like uh, we could take it home. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't great. And um, I had, I said something to a friend of mine. I said, yeah, I keep learning that lesson over and over again. And he said, bro, like the over and over again part negates the whole learning the lesson part. <laughs> like you've obviously learned nothing. And I was like, well, fuck. He's right. Like I actually haven't learned a lesson. I keep looking at the lesson and I keep not doing anything different. My life continues to be miserable. Imagine that. Yeah. Funny how that works, right? The definition. Yeah. Don't of quit. What's the best thing? Don't quit. <laughs> Fair enough. I knew, I knew you were going to take that opening. I mean, don't, I mean, you know, like what's the best thing you can do? Like, no, I mean, I can, man, just believe in yourself, dude. Like understand that you can literally get whatever it is you want out of this life. If you're willing to become the human worthy of achieving it, yeah. it's, it's just, it's just for so long for me, it was all results driven. It was all head down, hard work. It was all grind, grind, grind. It was all, I'll, I'll, I'll be with my kids later. I'll be with my wife later. I'll, I'll work on my faith later. I'll, I'll work on my recovery later. I'll, it was all this like success had to come first. Then I would go and work on my character and backwards, backwards. When I put my character first, success just naturally started to fall into the buckets like on its own. It doesn't, it wasn't, it's not that it's easy. Um, it's not that it's perfect. It's just that it's become very simple. That's, that's really good. You know, I, I think especially as as men, there's still sort of a, a stigma around our emotional intelligence and our emotional needs because men are incredibly hard on ourselves, incredibly hard. We feel so many societal pressures that, you know, it can be crippling at times. I, I know guys with anxiety, depression and, and stuff like that that just 
they could be so good and they are so good, but they're held back by just trying to be this image that I want to say this right. Is their image, but also isn't at the same time. It's more their image of what society's image is. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's your perspective of yourself that you've placed in someone else's head. That's what it is. Yeah. And, and like, for me, I, like when I suffered from this and I still do at times, cause like, and look, I'm going to say like, and I've always believed, and I believe this is true. Like we are biologically and like psychologically wired to provide it's a survival thing mm -hmm. part of the problem with this psychological and biological need to provide is that it has actually become really fucking easy to provide we're not out all day hunting with the hope of killing one thing to feed our family for three days in a cave while we like it's not like that anymore but we're still that primal brain like there's no we have not the brain has not evolved in quite some time we have they're like we have society has the environment has definitely come a long way but that primal brain still exists so now it's more so like for me like looking around and going the house isn't enough and this isn't because i have nothing to hunt and so when i turn my focus to hunting my own character hunting my own integrity that's the provision that my family needs because it's really easy to provide food bro i literally could minimize this screen go to instacart and have a month's worth of food delivered to my door with the click of four buttons that doesn't bring any fulfillment anymore like it used to that doesn't meet the biological need to provide the provision you talked about the emotional part of it the provision that our families need nowadays is an emotional provision from the father from the man of the house it's a calmness it's a steadiness it's a love it's an it's an empathy it's an integrity if we can hunt and focus on that, when I started hunting and focusing on that, understanding that all my other needs would be met, no matter what, I know how to make money. I know how to food shop. I know how to pay for a house. I know how to do all this shit. I learned this shit years ago and I just kept beating my head against the wall. I focused on the other side of this, the heart side, the side you're talking about, the anxiety side, the depression side, because you know what kills families? Depressed men, anxious men, scared men, fearful men. Men aren't just inherently lazy and sleeping in too much and, and fat. This isn't just like an obesity problem or a, I just can't get out of bed problem. The, that we have an entire society of scared, anxious, depressed men. Mm -hmm. So I, and when I realized that even successful, even with a million dollar business, even with a hundred grand in net, which means it's so funny to like looking back on that, but like I was a scared, anxious, depressed man. I had a front. My business was a front. My 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 content in 2019 was a front. My it was a front for a version of me that I hated. I played video games in all my spare time with my group of buddies who made 42 grand a year all night long and avoided my family. I, I wasn't the man I knew I could be, and that made me scared, anxious, and depressed. When I turned all of my energy over to fixing myself. And becoming the man that I knew God made me capable of becoming, all these other things started to smooth out. Now, mind you, it's been a four or five year process of really working on myself yeah. on top of a five year process of working on myself to get clean. It was just back to back to back to back. But that's what that's what fixed everything that getting rid of the anxiety, the depression, the fear, the scare and just showing up, man, just showing up. That's 
Man, we're going to have like so many different sound bites for this episode. This is fan. This is like we waited too long to have you on. Maybe we waited the perfect amount of time. This is a perfect episode. I'm having there a great time go. this morning. Good. Good. I'm glad. That's how you, that's how you should be starting your day. Um, man, God, where do you go from that? Good Lord. You just close it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm half tempted to. We still got a few minutes, but good God. Um. Let's let's talk the sobriety journey real quick before we wrap things up because I'm on my own. Started going to AA. Um, I'm on. Let's see. What's what's today? Today is 74 days sober. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. And and you know that's that's a journey that I've tried to be on before. And this is not my longest streak, but we'll see. You know, one day at a time. What was the hardest part about getting clean for you? Um, the hardest part about getting clean was, was literally making it through the first day, uh, to be honest, the first, the very first day of, of 24 hours. Like I, I, I went a long time, not able to get 24 hours. Like, yeah, whether it was just a sip or just a hit or it was always something, you know what I mean? The hardest part about staying clean was changing everything about myself because the man who walked into his first meeting was going to relapse. If I didn't become a new man, like the man who got clean was a man who used drugs to mask his emotions and cope with life. If that man didn't die and become somebody new, that man would have used again. So the hardest part about staying clean was working all the steps through and actually changing. Man, more powerful stuff. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting like I used to I used to be the exact same way. I mean, if if I saw if I could justify it, if I could see if I could find a reason to even just take that sip or drink that that drink, whether it was the day, whether it was the night, it didn't matter. I'd I'd do it. And I'd I'd be good. I'd be fucking great at finding reasons. And I could I could find a reason for anything. Worked out today. Celebrate with a bourbon. Right? Look, I can't find a reason to drink. That's a reason to drink. I can't even find a reason. So I'm going to celebrate no reasons by having a drink. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly how I was. Yep. That's exactly how I was. It wasn't until I had a really, I, I, I'll say a, a shit 24 hours, but it was actually more of a shit life that led up to a shit 24 hours or a shit yeah. way of living that lived, that ended up with a shit 24 hours. Um, you know, and, and I, I know people that, that still struggle with alcohol, still struggle with drugs, and they want to do they, they want to get clean, but they don't know how. And, you know, that, that those first 24 hours, I think, are also the the scariest because in those 24 hours, it really sets in just how much of a problem you have. And that's fucking <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Once once everything was out of my system and I, I had that day of sobriety, I looked back and I was like, holy shit man i really let things get out of control no wonder my life is in shambles in every aspect yep so whew, good lord all right well on that note sam where can you be found yeah um book and podcast and t-shirts and hats for the brand are all on sam kaufman official.com podcast is called never stop building the book on amazon is called never stop building 
um, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Sam Kaufman official. It's all very, very concise across the board. So wait, I've been calling you Kaufman. It's Kaufman. It is. Yeah. So I don't ever correct. God, I've known you for like two and a half years. I've been calling you Kaufman the whole time. So so check this out though. And the last story, but, um, sometimes this has happened more than once. I'll go to like check into a hotel and they're like name. And I'm like, Sam Kaufman. They'll pull me up and go, Oh, you mean Kaufman? No, I definitely don't. (laughs) I absolutely meant Kaufman. As long as you never do that to me, you can call me whatever you want. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. That would drive me insane. That would drive me. All right. Well, awesome. But I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on. Like I said, I have the utmost respect and admiration for a multitude of reasons. So for the personal stuff, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Slaying the Sale. If you're interested in knowing more about Kyle, make sure you head over to his website, theslaymakermethod.com, and pick up a copy of his best-selling books. Then head to Facebook to join his private group, Slaymaker Sales Mastery, to become the number one salesperson in your company. And until next time, remember to keep slaying the sale.